The Sound of Young America is supported in part by Ask Metafilter, thousands of life's little questions answered online at ask.metafilter.com. And by VG Kids, printers of t-shirts and other merchandise for touring bands, radio stations, websites, festivals, derby girls, record labels, national brands, and all the rabble-rousers, hackers, and entrepreneurs in between. Online at vgkids.com. Coverage of the world of comedy on The Sound of Young America is supported by Humber College, offering a two-year program dedicated to comedy. Students learn stand-up, improv, acting, and writing skills, and perform in the heart of Toronto. At Humber, we make funny people funnier. More information at HumberComedy.com. I'm Jesse Thorne, live on tape from my house in Los Angeles. It's The Sound of Young America from MaximumFun.org and PRI, Public Radio International. Welcome to The Sound of Young America Holiday Special. I'm Jesse Thorne. We've got a full plate of holiday goodies for you, so pack your stockings and roast your hams. All that good holiday stuff. Coming up on this show, we'll talk with a Christmas legend, Ronnie Spector. As a member of the Ronettes, she recorded some of the greatest Christmas music ever made. We'll talk with her about that, some of her new music, and about some of the gentlemen that she flirted with when she was in her prime. John Lennon was a cockeye over me. He took me in this back room at Deco Records, and I almost had to use a whip to get that guy out of the room. Plus, we've got the legendary Fred Schneider of the B-52s. His band, the Superions, have a new Christmas record, and he has an important holiday announcement for everyone. Give me presents. That's all coming up on the Sound of Young America holiday special. First, here's the Martian Kids Choir from one of my favorite Christmas films, Santa Claus vs. the Martians, with Hooray for Santa Claus. That was the Martian Kids Choir from Santa Claus vs. the Martians with their smash hit, Hooray for Santa Claus. It's the Sound of Young America holiday special. My guest on the Sound of Young America is Ronnie Spector. She made her name as a member of the Ronettes. They were the centerpiece of the Phil Spector Wall of Sound and a beautiful centerpiece at that. Ronnie was still a teenager when she started recording and the only thing bigger than her ambitions was her hair. With the Ronettes, she recorded some of the greatest Christmas music ever on the legendary Phil Spector Presents A Christmas Gift to You album. Now she's got a brand new Christmas record, Ronnie Spector's Best Christmas Ever.
Ronnie Spector, it's really a pleasure to have you on The Sound of Young America. Thank you for doing this. Hi, Jesse. It's great being here, especially for Young America. <laughs> and I love Christmas. I, I, was listening, <laughs> I was listening to your EP, and there's this uh, wonderful little interlude um, about you, you asking your father where Santa Claus was going to come into the house. And, and I grew up in the city without a fireplace <laughs> myself. Um, and I remember having that very same... Uh, that very same conversation. No kidding? Yeah, absolutely. Oh, Jesse, I, I remember I was around six or seven years old, and I, I was so in love with Christmas and Santa and Frosty and all that stuff. And I, I, I remember being in school, and in, in the books, they always had Santa with the black, you know, the black boots on coming down the chimney. So I asked my father, I said, we don't have a chimney. Where's Santa? How is he going to get here? I was so upset and frustrated. And he said, Ronnie, Santa is coming down the fire escape. I was so happy, Jesse. I ran to my room. I put the covers over my head, and I fell fast asleep. And that's the true story. <laughs> <laughs> was was singing part of your Christmases as a kid? Of course. That was how it all started. I was like six years old, and I remember my mother taking— Well, my mother was a waitress, you know, and she stood up on her feet all day, and I just had to go sit on Santa's lap. So my mother took me to Macy's, and I felt so bad as I grew older to remember, wow, my mother stood up on her feet all day as a waitress, and then she took me to see Santa Claus at Macy's. And we had to stand on line for like two hours. And I said, Mom, I can't go. And she would say, Honey, I'm so tired. I said, But Mom, if I don't sit on Santa's lap, I'm going to be crazy this Christmas. She said, Okay, Ronnie, okay. Or Veronica is what they called me back then. And uh, I sat on Santa's lap, and that that was when I fell in love with Christmas, with Santa, with Frosty, with the tree, everything. I mean, that's when it started, it's sitting on Santa's lap at Macy's. Why don't we hear a little bit of your classic Christmas recording of Frosty the Snowman, uh, Ronnie Spector and the Ronettes. Yes. Frosty the Snowman. How old were you when you first went up on stage at Amateur Night at the Apollo? Oh, I was like 11, <laughs> 12, <laughs> something like way in that age. Tell, tell me about that, that first time that you performed at the, uh, at the Apollo. Do you remember it? Oh, God, like it was yesterday. It was my first show ever, you know, professional show. And I remember uh, it was Nedra, myself, Estelle, and two, another cousin, and my cousin Ira, which is a boy cousin, because back then they had Frankie Lyman, the students, Frankie Valley, you know, all these guy singers. So I said to my cousin Ira, I said, maybe you should sing lead. So we go out there to amateur night. I'll never, ever forget. My cousin Ira has the microphone in his hand, and nothing comes out. <laughs> I was petrified. So I grabbed the mic from him and I started singing, Why do birds sing? 
you know, the Frankie Lyman song. So I started, and the audience went nuts for me. So for me, you know, it was like I was passing because they didn't know what we were, but they loved me. And I said, oh, my God, if I can pass at the Apollo, they'll love me all over the world. And I was very young, you know, to have all these kind of feelings about touring all over the world. And my mother would always say, don't get too excited. This is show business we're talking about. You don't know if you're going to make a hit record. You don't know anything. But I did know I loved the stage, and I got it from a very early age. You and your sister and cousin had this uh, outrageous uh, look um, <laughs> in, 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 the, in that beginning of your career. I wonder how long it took uh, for you to, and what you had to do to get your hair as high as it was when you were uh, on stage. I was watching some film clips, and I was very impressed <laughs> at the sheer, uh, the sheer height of, of what was on top of your head. Well, I'll tell you what we had to do. First of all, you had to tease it a lot and use a lot of Aquanet hairspray. That's what we used in the 60s, Aquanet. Then you wind it around your hair. Then you twit it again, and then you uh, tease it again. We had a lot of hair. I guess it was for you know because of our background and stuff. That's what I said about me and Keith Richards. If we had married and had kids, we would have great. Our kids would have great hair. I always say that to Keith. It's the Sound of Young America Holiday Special. My guest is Ronnie Spector. She's got a brand new holiday EP called Ronnie Spector's Best Christmas Ever. Um, let's hear a little bit of the title track. So the height of your career was this really transitional time in popular music. It was this time when um, doo-wop and that kind of thing was on the way out and uh, really harder rock and roll was on the way in. Mm -hmm. And uh, you and your contemporaries were sort of bridging that gap between those two things. Right. And one of the ways that you bridged that gap was by having these, like, actual personal relationships with the Beatles and the Rolling Stones. (laughs) Yes, we did. (laughs) Tell me about how you first met the Beatles. Okay. Well, first of all, the Beatles hadn't come to America yet, so they weren't even known in America. And when we were over in England, we were, like, on front pages of every paper there. So the uh, the Beatles wanted to see uh, Decca Records gave us a party because that's what was our label over there. So Decca Records gave us a party, and guess who showed up? The Beatles. <laughs> and John Lennon was cockeyed over me, and uh, he took me in this back room at Decca Records, and I almost had to use a whip to get that guy out of the room. <laughs> but uh, you know, I met all of them. I love them all. I love the Rolling. The Rolling Stones were my opening act in in England. So I knew them real good. <laughs> we used to travel on the tour bus together, and Keith and I would go, and when it got too foggy and stuff in London, we would pull over, the bus would pull over, and Keith and I would get out and knock on doors, and, and they were so nice. They would open the door, and I would say, hi, I'm Ronnie, Ronnie of the Ronettes, and Keith would say, I'm Keith of the Rolling Stones. They let us in. They give us stones and tea and everything, <laughs> and we take it out to the bus and give Mick some and the other guys, you know, Brian, I mean, everything. I knew those guys better than I knew the American groups. When did you become aware of what a sort of holiday icon that uh, uh, that Phil Spector Christmas record uh, made you and your contemporaries? When did you start to feel that these songs were going to be more than just 
um, more than just what a Christmas record usually is, which is, um, you know, just a way to uh, yeah. uh, sell a couple hundred thousand records for uh, uh, <laughs> for a hit band. You know what I mean? Well, I tell you one thing. Uh, Phil Spector was Jewish. He didn't know anything about Christmas. So he'd come <laughs> to my house and tell, ask me, what. that's why I sang I Saw Mommy Kissing Santa Claus. He'd say, what did your mother and father do when you were a little girl? And so all my songs and Forcey the Snowman and Sleigh Ride. I loved slaying. So my my, everything that's on that album of my stuff was actually done from my own words to Phil, and that's how he got. He didn't even think about Christmas because, I, like I said, he was Jewish. So I, uh, I got him really into Christmas. That's how he made that. Uh, it's a Christmas gift for you. Let's hear Ronnie Spector and the Ronettes singing. I saw Mommy kissing Santa Claus. Okay. Mwah. The Sound of Young America holiday special continues with the great Ronnie Spector after a break. It's the Sound of Young America from MaximumFun.org and PRI, Public Radio International. It's the Sound of Young America. I'm Jesse Thorne. My guest on the program is Ronnie Spector. So you've been doing these holiday shows for uh, more than 20 years now, since the, yes. since, since the end of the 80s. Yep. <laughs> um, what, do you, what do you have to do to, to gear yourself up for, uh, for the Christmas season? What, how, do you, how, do you, how do you wind get yourself into that Christmas place? Well, I've got two kids, two boys, and what I do is I put on a Christmas gift for you, my old Christmas album, you know, and I put that on and then we start, build, uh, you know, doing the Christmas tree and putting all the stuff on it, you know, the bulbs and the, the 
everything, the peppermint sticks, everything. And that's how I get into Christmas, of course. And then I put my records on. Now I have a new Christmas thing called Ronnie Spector's Best Christmas Ever. So this year I've been listening to that even way before it's Christmas because I have to learn the song. Because I, I, I did it in the recording studio. I've never done it live before. So I was at my band rehearsal yesterday. It sounds amazing. <laughs> Let's hear another track from Ronnie Spector's new Christmas EP, Best Christmas Ever. It's the time of year I went really deep into your uh, catalog when I was preparing for this interview. Yes. And um, I, I really loved listening to uh, a, a, couple of, a couple of songs that you recorded in the 70s. One of them was, um, was this song called Try Some, Buy Some that you recorded for Apple Records. Yes. Um, With tell George me, Harrison. Tell me how you ended up not just uh, being pals with the Beatles, but recording with them. Well, it was very simple. They said, we want Ronnie Spector's voice on Apple Records. And um, my ex-husband took me over to England. We got over there, and I get into the studio. There's one person in there, and his hair was long, so I couldn't really see who it was. And I got up, and he was sitting at the piano, and he looked up, and it was George Harrison. And we hugged and kissed. Well, not that kind of kissing, but, you know, <laughs> hugged and kissed and everything. And it was so great. And he wrote Try Some, Buy Some for me right there on the spot. And we did that song. And um, then I went back to California to be with my uh, adopted children. Let's, let's hear Try Some, Buy Some from uh, the early 1970s, a song yeah, written, written by George Harrison, performed by Ronnie Spector. Way back in time, someone said try some, I tried some, now buy some, I bought some, whoa, whoa, whoa. After a while, when I had tried them, denied them, I opened my eyes, and I saw you. You also recorded in uh, the 1990s with uh, Joey Ramone of the Ramones. Oh yes, um, love Joey. How did you How did you first meet him? Well, I had met Joey um, like a few years before we recorded and stuff. We'd always meet at this place called the Continental down on Eighth Street, and then we got to talking one night. So he said, "Ronnie, I would love to record you. Have, you're my favorite female singer." So he said, we got to make a record together. And at the time, I didn't know Joey was sick. You know, I didn't have any clue. And then we would go over to Daniel Ray's house, his best friend, which lived a block from him. And that's when he would bring his lunch. We did uh, like four, an EP. 
and everything. And I had no idea. We did this one song called Memory, you know, and it was like telling me he will only be a memory in, in the near future. And I had no idea that he was dying and stuff. And it devastated me when I couldn't go and see him in the hospital that very last time. He said, I don't want Ronnie to see me like this. So I didn't see him the very last time. And it broke my heart. He broke, he was the nicest guy. And he was so, um, sorry, genuine. You know, he loved rock and roll. Woke up thinking about you today. Why does it have to be this way? We drove We had fun, we drove each other crazy. I'll always love you. Bye bye, baby. Baby. Had you heard his records when you first met him? Oh yes, of course. What did you think of them? I mean, it's 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 something that they're they're so deeply rooted in the music that you made, but they're also so completely different. Well, that's what I liked about them: the fact that they were like me and they liked my music, but they were different from me. That's just like the Beatles and the Stones. We were all so different. It's a little Ronnie sitting in the middle of the Beatles and the Rolling Stones, and then I come to New York and I've got Billy Joel, Bruce Springsteen, and Joey Ramone and the Ramones. So I, I've been surrounded by people that love my voice. Thank God. <laughs> what do you enjoy most about um, being a music performer? I love being in the recording studio because it brings me to the stage with new material, and of course I sing all my old songs, but. It's nothing like doing something new and fresh and, you know, like the new CD. It has all my songs on the originals. And, you know, Sleigh Ride and Frosty, all those records were like Irving Berlin and stuff. But my stuff that I did now is like stuff that is original, and I love that. Well, Ronnie, thank you so much for taking all this time to be on The Sound of Young America. It was really a pleasure to talk to you. Oh, thank you, Jesse. Ronnie Spector's new Christmas EP is called Best Christmas Ever. In a world full of darkness, in a world full of pain, all it takes is a sparkle, all it takes is a flame to make joy out of sadness, to bring hope to a life like the promise of the dawn on a long winter's night. In a couple of minutes, we'll talk with Fred Schneider of the B-52s, but before we get to that, a Christmas countdown from Frank Kelly. A couple years ago here on The Sound of Young America, I interviewed Graham Linehan, who created the iconic Irish sitcom Father Ted. Well, Frank Kelly played the cantankerous Father Jack on that show, and he recorded this special Christmas song a few years ago. Day one. Dear Nola, thank you very much for your lovely present of a partridge in a pear tree. We're getting the hang of feeding the partridge now, although it was difficult at first to win its confidence. It bit the mother rather badly in the hand, but they're good friends now, and we're keeping the pear tree indoors in a bucket. Thank you again. Yours affectionately, Gubnet O'Lunacy. Day two. Dear Nola, I cannot tell you how surprised we were to hear from you so soon again, and to receive your lovely present of two turtle doves. You really are too kind. At first, the partridge was very jealous and suspicious of the doves, and they had a terrible row on the night the doves arrived. We had to send for the vet. But the birds are okay again, and the stitches is due to come out in a week or two. The vet's bill was £8, but the mother is over her annoyance now, and the doves and the partridge are watching the telly from the pear tree as I write. Yours ever, Gobnet. Day three. Dear Nola, we must be foremost in your thoughts. I had only posted my letter when the three French hens arrived. There was another sort out between the hens and the doves who sided with the partridge, and the vet had to be sent for again. The mother was raging because the bill was £16 this time, but she has almost cooled down. However, the fact that the bird's droppings keep falling down on her hair while she's watching the telly doesn't help matters. Thanking you for your kindness, I remain your governor. 
Day 4. Dear Nola, you mustn't have received my last letter when you were sending us the four calling birds. There was pandemonium in the pear tree again last night, and the vet's bill was £32. The mother is on sedation as I write. I know you meant no harm, and remain your close friend, Governor. Day 5. Nola, your generosity knows no bounds. Five gold rings! When the parcel arrived, I was scared stiff that it might be more boards, because the smell in the living room is atrocious. However, I don't want to seem ungrateful for the beautiful rings. Your affectionate friend, Governor. Day 6. Nola, what are you trying to do to us? It isn't that we don't appreciate your generosity, but the six geese have not alone nearly murdered the Colin birds, but they laid their eggs on top of the vet's head from the pear tree, and his bill was £68 in cash. My mother is munching 60 grains of Valium a day and talking to herself in a most alarming way. You must keep your feelings for me in check, Governor. Day 7. Nola, we are not amused by your little joke. Seven swans a swimming is a most romantic idea, but not in the bath of a private house. We cannot use the bathroom now because they have gone completely savage and rush the door every time we try to enter. If things go on this way, the mother and I will smell as bad as the living room carpet. Please lay off. It is not fair. Governor. Day 8. Nola, who the hell do you think gave you the right to send eight hefty maids of milk in here to eat us out of house and home? Their cattle is all over the front lawn and has trampled the hell over the mother's rose beds. The swans invaded the living room in a sneak attack, and the ensuing battle between them and the calling birds, turtle doves, French hens and partridge made the battle of the Somme seem like Wanderley Wagon. The mother is on a bottle of whiskey a day as well as the 60 grains of Valium. I'm very annoyed with you, Governor. Day 9. Listen, you louser. There's enough pandemonium in this place night and day without nine drummers drumming. While the eight flaming maids of milking is beating me poor old alcoholic mother out of her own kitchen and gobbling everything in sight. I'm warning you, you're making an enemy of me, Governor. Day 10. Listen, manure face. I hope you will be haunted by the strains of the tin pipers piping which has sent to torment us last night. They were aided in their evil work by those maniac drummers and it wasn't a pleasant sight to look out the window and see eight hefty maids of milking pogoing round with the ensuing punk rock uproar. My mother has just finished her third bottle of whiskey on top of 124 grains of Valium. You'll get yours. Governor O'Lunacy. Day 11. You have scandalised my mother, you dirty Jezebel. It was bad enough to have eight maids of milk and dancing to punk music on the front lawn. But they've now been joined by your friends, the eleven lords a-leapin'. And the antics of the whole lot of them would leave the most decadent days of the Roman Empire looking like outlook. I'll get you yet, you old bag. Day 12. Listen, slurry head. You have ruined our lives. The twelve maidens dancing turned up last night and beat the living daylights out of the eight maids of milking because they found them carrying on with the eleven lords a-leaping. Meanwhile, the swans got out of the living room where they'd been hiding since the big battle and savaged hell out of the lords and all the maids. There were eight ambulances here last night and the local civil defence as well. The mother is in a home for the bewildered and I'm sitting here up to me neck and birds droppings, empty whiskey and valium bottles, birds blood and feathers when the flame and cows eats the leaves off the pear tree. I'm a bro. That was the Christmas countdown from Frank Kelly. It's the Sound of Young America holiday special. I'm Jesse Thorne. There are few bands that better define outrageousness than the B-52s, and there is no greater symbol of that outrageousness than my guest, Fred Schneider. His signature, I don't know what you would call it, talk singing, bellowing, proclaiming, is one of the most identifiable vocal styles in rock music. And it's a sound that begs to be impersonated. Anyone has a Fred Schneider impression. It is literally taking all of the self-control that I can muster not to do a bad Fred Schneider impression right here on this show right now. It sort of makes sense that Fred Schneider has kind of a thing for kitschy novelty music. These days, he's indulging that with his band, The Superions. They've got a brand new Christmas record. It's called Destination Christmas. 
Before we get to my conversation with Fred Schneider, let's hear a little bit of Fruitcake from that album. What you making? Fruitcake! What you baking? Fruitcake! Candy cherries, red dye number two. Green cherries? Green ones too, it's fruitcake! It's fruitcake! Pecans or walnuts. Citrus peel. Lots of stuff. Add what you feel. Sticks of butter. Cinnamon. Mo molasses. Lots of dark rum. Artificial color. Artificial flavor. If your family don't want it, give it to a neighbor. It's fruitcake. Fred, welcome to the Sound of Young America holiday special. Good to be here. Merry Christmas. Happy holidays. Thank you very much. It's uh, when did you? What time of year was it when you recorded this Superions album and you wrote all these Christmas records? Well, um, I would go down to Orlando and work with the guys, and I had Christmas ideas, and the the B Fifty Twos didn't want to do a Christmas record, so um, we were going to do a Christmas record, a Halloween record, and a regular record. But we just got caught up doing Halloween songs, and um, we wrote nine songs in 11 days, one of which was a Halloween song. <laughs> to be fair. Yeah, because yeah, we want to do a Halloween record, but that'll be next year. Let's talk a little bit about your career with the B-52s. Um, the group of you founded the band in 1977, mm-hmm. um, and your recording breakthrough with Cosmic Thing was in 1989. So you were certainly veterans by the time you became major stars. Mm-hmm. Um, tell me a little bit about uh, what kind of scene you were part of to the extent that there was a scene in 1977 in Athens, Georgia. It was basically, Athens was not the music mecca it is now. It was nothing like that. Like Michael Stipe said, you could like lay down in the middle of the main street and not get hit by a car on a Friday night. We were just a bunch of nuts hanging out. um, And we just got together one night and made a song. And from that point on, we created a band because we had nothing better to do. Was there like even a place for you to play? Uh, We played on a kitchen table. Um... (laughs) We played in the living room of some my friend's house. That was our first gig. I told him we had a band, even though we were just rehearsed once or you know just got together and jammed. We had one song called "Well, This Dates." You could tell when we started. Killer Bees had arrived in Brazil, so we had a song called "Killer Bees." That's just you know all the different disasters that you read about in like tabloids strung together into a song. One of your first singles uh, was also one of your most iconic. Let's hear a little bit of the B-52s and Rock Lobster. It's the Sound of Young America. I'm Jesse Thorne. That was Rock Lobster from the B-52s. One of their lead vocalists, Fred Schneider, is my guest. His band, the Superions, have a new Christmas album. Um, So I have to say, I I didn't know that Rock Lobster had had, had been written at the very beginning of your careers. And I was sort of surprised that your aesthetic was so fully formed right at the very birth of the band. Um, what were the what were the different members of the band sort of bringing to the table that 
made the kind of crazy pastiche that the B-52s were and are? Um, well, Ricky learned how to play guitar watching um, educational TV. Um, <laughs> Keith was a drummer in different bands locally. Um, and they just, everyone's musical taste was very eclectic. We liked everything from Perez Prado to Ema Sumac to James Brown to punk music. Uh, we had a party, anything went. It wasn't just one style of music. Um, and I guess I brought, I've always been writing. I mean, the last thing I, before I dropped out of college, the last thing I did, I didn't want to do a final project, but then somebody says, I'm going to do a book of poetry. I thought, hmm, I'm going to do a book of poetry too. So I just wrote crazy stuff. And the teacher said, you know, I don't understand this at all, but I know you're serious. And I got an (laughs) A. And then actually some of the poems became, uh, There's a Moon in the Sky. Um, A couple of songs became, a couple of poems became the basis for songs. What were the what kinds of things were the poems about that your teacher led was led to believe that they were quite serious? Um, well, they were literate. I mean, I used a lot of similes and, met, <laughs> and um, look, there was synecdoche <laughs> in the poems. Yeah, the, well, well, I had to read them in front of the class, and everyone just looked stone faced except my friend who was just laughing the whole time. Um, well, I had the first poem I wrote was. It's called Flamingo. It's something like, let's see, Crimson and Rose Feathered Stain, Site of Recent Assassination, Motives Foul and Clandestine Belie the Murder of Beloved Flamingo by Unassuming Rosette Spoonbill. <laughs> so that, that, that was, that's the um, gist of my final project for creative writing. <laughs> Were you surprised um, when... Uh, cosmic thing brought you from a beloved cult act of 11 years to multi-platinum recording artist? Oh, uh, it was, well, we were all going broke, so it was a welcome change. <laughs> um, the record company was ignoring us. They didn't even, the record company didn't even get, I mean, I had to literally go with the A&R person while the band did sound checks and go to different radio stations to beg them to play Love Shack because everyone thought it was too weird. Well, I mean, it was pretty weird. It, it was weird for the pretty time. weird. <laughs> but it's, I think it's probably, I thought it was our most accessible thing, you know, on the, the album. And, you know, finally it just started going up the charts all around the country at different times. I mean, it was never like, Consistently, like Paula Abdul and Millie Vanilli were the two above us at the time. The Sound of Young America holiday special continues with Fred Schneider of the B-52s after a break. It's The Sound of Young America from MaximumFun.org and PRI, Public Radio International. Hey, Seattleites, Jordan Morris from Jordan Jesse Go is hosting his first ever Max Fun Meetup. He says that it's going to be better than all of my Max Fun Meetups. So I'm here to tell you do not go under no circumstances on December 17th should you go to Shorty's in Seattle, Washington from 8 until around 10 p.m. and hang out with Jordan. That's right. Do not go to Shorty's in Seattle, Washington at 2222 2nd Avenue in Seattle, 98121. That's Shorty's for Jordan's meetup where you should not go because my meetups are better than his.
It's the Sound of Young America holiday special. I'm Jesse Thorne. My guest is Fred Schneider, the iconic voice of the B-52s. With his band, The Superions, he's just recorded a holiday record. It's called Destination Christmas. Have you been, had you been like uh, saving Christmas song ideas for years by the time you uh, cut this record? Like, did you have a secret notebook in your... Yes, but it's basically titles. Like I said, I'm going to write a song called Fruitcake. And I'm, <laughs> I'm serious. I just have the word fruitcake. So I knew I was going to do a song called Fruitcake. And actually, Crummy Christmas Tree, I just came up with one Christmas at a party. And, you know, because they say, every, okay, everyone has to sing a song. And I'm like, oh, God, I don't want to sing a Christmas song. And so I just made up Crummy Christmas Tree. And hopefully it's going to become a family and friendly favorite. Well, let's hear a little bit of Crummy Christmas Tree. Uh, my guest is Fred Schneider uh, of the B-52s and the Superions. His new album with the Superions is called Destination Christmas. Crummy, crummy Christmas tree. It's the Sound of Young America holiday special. I'm Jesse Thorne. My guest is Fred Schneider, best known as one of the lead vocalists of the B-52s. He's now formed a band, uh, not exclusively for holiday-themed records, but largely for holiday-themed records. Well, it's our first full length. The the first album we released uh, is just an EP, The Superions, with three songs and four remixes. What were your fondest uh, holiday memories? What did you draw upon when you were writing and recording this record? Um, We drew upon a lot of glasses of wine. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I can can write songs. They just come to me. Um, The song uh, Chillin' at Christmas, um, I I said, you know, let's do some music in this genre – sort of loungy and um actually was sort of uh reminiscent of like a a grace jones track slightly but you know the melodies were original and all that and then i just uh came up with words and um and under the tree under the tree was the one sort of inspired by grace jones track and chillin was um just i don't know i wanted to song about an avalanche (laughs) <laughs> and why wouldn't you? Well, we have the abominable snowmen, avalanches, sleigh bells, Christmas tree. I mean, it's it's a multifaceted holiday album. What are the important topics that you haven't yet covered when it comes to Christmas? Well, I have to mention Hanukkah and Kwanzaa and uh, what is it? Solstice. Sure. Um, what? Yeah. Hmm. My aunt in Oakland celebrates the winter solstice. Oh, there you go. She's cool. I think she thinks Christmas has something to do with the patriarchy or something. I don't remember. Well, it's all based on paganism, so I just say go for the pagan part. That's more fun than, you know. <laughs> Though I, I do thank a certain person for having their birthday on the 25th, so it made that record possible. <laughs> Well, Fred, thank you so much for taking the time to be on The Sound of Young America. It was really a pleasure to have you. Uh, Great being here. Hey, maybe before we go, we should have, you're probably the most legendary declaimer in the history of popular music. Is there some sort of holiday-themed declamation that you might make for all our listeners out there in what we'll call holiday land? Give me presents. <laughs> Fred Schneider is the frontman of the Superions. Their new holiday album is Destination Christmas. This is a holiday special, right? Not a Christmas special. I feel kind of guilty for interviewing two people about Christmas stuff. I don't know if this is good enough to overcome that guilt, but here's the great Tom Lehrer with his classic holiday hit, Hanukkah in Santa Monica. 
I'm spending Hanukkah in Santa Monica, wearing sandals, lighting candles by the sea. I spent Shavuos in East St. Louis, a charming spot, but clearly not the spot for me. Those eastern winters, I can't endure them. So every year I pack my gear and come out here till Purim, Rosh Hashanah. I spend in Arizona and Yom Kippur way down in Mississippi. But in December, there's just one place for me. Amid the California flora, I'll be lighting my menorah like a baby in his cradle. I'll be playing with my dreidel, spending Hanukkah in Santa Monica by the sea. I'm spending Hanukkah in Santa Monica, wearing sandals, lighting candles by the sea. I spent Shavuos in East St. Louis, a charming spot, but clearly not the spot for me. Those eastern winters, I can't endure them, so every year I pack my gear and come out here to Purim, Rosh Hashanah, I spend in Arizona. And Yom Kippur way down in Mississippi. But in December, there's just one place for me. Amid the California flora, I'll be lighting my menorah like a baby in his cradle. I'll be playing with my dreidel. Here's the Judas Maccabeus. Boy, if he could only see us spending Hanukkah in Santa Monica by the It's the Sound of Young America holiday special. I'm Jesse Thorne. I'm joined now by Tasha Robinson and Kyle Ryan from the AV Club. Our friends from the AV Club visit us every once in a while to sift the wheat from the chaff of popular culture. So we thought we'd invite them to our holiday special to give us some ideas for great cultural gifts uh, for all the folks out there who need a good idea or two at the holidays. Tasha, Kyle, uh, welcome to the holiday special. Hello. Hi, and thanks for having us. Of course. Kyle Ryan, let's talk about the new three-CD, three-DVD box set of Bruce Springsteen's The Darkness on the Edge of Town. Um, That is an astonishing amount of media. What all is on there? Well, you have the uh, you get the digitally remastered CD for Darkness on the Edge of Town. Then you get um, two discs called The Promise, which are like uh, B sides or you know unreleased stuff, and uh, then you know several DVDs of like live uh, performances. Um, but really, the thing that makes it just so cool, uh, especially for people of a certain age, uh, yeah, basically people who bought CDs and, and still love the like physical product of cds is that the uh the big box set comes with this incredible spiral bound notebook and when you flip through it each page is essentially like a high high quality color copy of bruce springsteen's notebook so you have lyrics and uh notes and like coffee stains and smudges and everything it looks when uh when we got it at the office we all you know sort of gasped by like just how cool it looked it's just it's really something to behold but you know beyond just the cool crap you'll have to put on your bookshelf or whatever uh you know the promise has a lot of uh, which is the the like besides and unreleased stuff uh it has a lot of really great songs on it like some that you uh you know they're kind of surprising that that didn't make the final cut uh, you know, Springsteen essentially wrote uh, a whole album was worth of material and then ditched it and, and rewrote again. So there's, there's a, just a ton of stuff on here that that's worth diving into. Let's hear one of those tracks from The Promise, previously unreleased from the three CD, three DVD box set of Bruce Springsteen's The Darkness on the Edge of Town. I'm driving in my car, I turn on the radio. I'm pulling you close You just say no Say you don't like it But girl, I know you're alive Cause when we kiss on fire Now, Tasha... I have to admit that the other day I was taping my uh, tele- the television program I host, The Grid, on IFC, 
Thursday, 7.45 Eastern, 4.45 Pacific. And um, we did a segment on the Goonies 25th anniversary Blu-ray. And I was savaged by my colleagues uh, for never having seen the Goonies. Um, I had to defend myself by saying that I've seen Pee-wee's Big Adventure and The Princess Bride a lot of times. <laughs> um, what's so great about this uh, new Blu-ray edition of the beloved 1980s family film? Well, I'll have to tell you, if if you have not already seen The Goonies at your age, it is too late. You must give up on that part of your life. Um, this is not something that you should perhaps purchase for yourself in order to uh, finally experience the wonder that is The Goonies. It's really uh, something that you should buy either for people our age who knew the film and loved it and want to see it again, you know, in spectacular Blu-ray with all the extras, or for people who have kids, you know, who would be experiencing for this, this for the first time. Um, the 25th anniversary package is just kind of this uh, amazing, amazing little package. It comes with a, a Goonies-themed board game. It comes with this, like, 64-page book full of uh, interviews with cast and details about the production. Tasha, when you get one of these things, uh, do you actually engage all of these extras? Like, um, are you are you organizing a game night around the uh, Goonies board game that came with the Blu-ray? I don't know that I'd organize a uh, a board game party, but I, I did look through the book, which is pretty slick, and I would absolutely listen to the commentary. I'm, I'm really interested in what these kids made of uh, the experience of you know being in this film when they were so young, and then going on to be famous in some cases for just about nothing else. Kyle Ryan, um, this seems to be the Hollywood gift guide about. Uh, overcomprehensive media products, <laughs> and perhaps the ultimate overcomprehensive media product is this new book called Simpsons World: The Ultimate Episode Guide, which is literally almost nine pounds uh, of recaps of Simpsons episodes. Um, why does anyone need this book? <laughs> well, uh, you know. In theory, you don't. I mean, especially because uh, <laughs> the huge chunk of it is stuff that's already been released in the episode guides that were first starting to get published in 1997 and came out every few years. Uh, I think the last one came out in 2005. Uh, so it's very much uh, a gift for hardcore Simpsons devotees like myself who are who are still sticking with the show and, and still watch it all the time. Um Beyond that, it, it's really cool looking. <laughs> Again, you know, I keep coming back to cool packaging. It's this, it's this book uh, that, you know, it looks like it was designed by uh, USA Today designers on uh, a Red Bull bench because it's just super bright and colorful and every page is, is uh, just got a whole, so much going on on it. Uh, it's this cool, bright red hardcover book and it comes in this hardcover case uh, and it has just all sorts of like, you know, silly things in it like the the words to every jingle and song that have been on the simpsons you know every there's typical stuff like every couch gag every thing that bart wrote on the board uh anything that was written on the church sign by reverend lovejoy every week it you know it, it's a it's a pretty hardcore compendium of everything that 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 is the simpsons it's also a good way to get uh to get a lot of good value out of that uh, all books 25 and over are 25 dollars and over are free shipping from amazon offer exactly exactly because uh they uh the publisher actually overnighted this to us and it, it's a <laughs> it is seriously a nine pound brick i don't know how much shipping costs them but it, it it wasn't cheap um kyle do you have an all-time favorite simpsons episode Oh geez. Um pick one, just one. Pick one. Um maybe the one where uh they they open the Mr. Burns casino. Uh for some reason watching Mr. Burns turn into Howard Hughes just endlessly entertains me. Let's hear a clip from it. Now to the plant. We'll take the spruce moose. Hop in. But sir. I said hop in. Okay, Tasha Robinson. Uh now that we've played our Simpsons clip. One of your favorite holiday picks was uh, is the DVD of a film called The Secret of Kells. And this is a movie that just barely snuck into theaters um, and snuck right out shortly thereafter, but then surprised a lot of people by being uh, nominated for an Oscar. Um, what, was, what was so lovely about this film? 
the funny thing is it was um nominated for an oscar before it had even really had a, a, a theatrical release in america i mean it it had played a couple of uh qualifying uh screenings in la and that was really about it so when the uh nominees were announced it was you know the princess and the frog and up and a couple other movies that you've almost certainly seen and this film that there's no chance that you've seen and nobody had heard of there was sort of a resounding what the secret of what met the nominees but when it actually started making it into art house theaters here it it is a spectacular movie this movie is uh it's not a nine pound brick it doesn't come in a special packaging with a, a copy of the book of kells and your own pet cat or anything like that um there's nothing huge and special about it it's just a terrific beautiful film the the animation is spectacular it's it really cannot be described it has to be seen it's a a decade-long labor of love um by this irish filmmaker who uh went through a lot of different iterations there's a bunch of great stuff on the dvd showing the iterations that this film went through but really when it comes down to it it's just a fantastic beautifully told fable i mean it's something that kids can watch and enjoy and adults can marvel at at the same time well tasha robinson Kyle Ryan from the AV Club, thank you so much for uh, taking the time to show us through the world of media and pick out a few gems that folks might be able to purchase as a holiday gift. Always a pleasure. Yes, thanks. Believe it or not, I think this may be the most pro-holiday Sound of Young America holiday special we've ever done. So why don't I leave you off with something to, you know, give you a little sour taste in your mouth. Here's the hilarious Albert Brooks with... Daddy's Christmas. Daddy, why is there Christmas? Well, honey, that's what this record is all about. Um, what did you ask me, sweetheart? About Christmas. What am I getting, Daddy? (laughs) What am I getting, Daddy? You know, honey, we're all guilty of saying that. But I didn't hear you asking what you were giving. And getting without giving, honey, is like eating without swallowing. It's disgusting. I don't understand. Yes, you do, sweetheart. Remember what I told you once about Santa? Anita? No, 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 pumpkin. Santa Claus, sweetheart. You said he knows when you're sleeping and he knows when you're not sleeping. So for goodness sake. (laughs) Well, darling, your paraphrasing makes me chuckle. Sometimes I wonder if through sheer stupidity children aren't just as smart as any grown-up. Anyway, lovey, Santa knows who's asleep and who's not. But he also knows something else. He knows the meaning of Christmas. And do you know what that is? It's all about love and sharing love and giving. That's beautiful, Dumpling. How'd you make love, Daddy? Well, it's a complicated process, sugar, and it really has nothing to do with Christmas. Does it have anything to do when you cover Mommy with... No, 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 honey. Raisins? (laughs) Honey, you want that bicycle, don't you? Yes. All right, then let me ask you a question. What are you getting Daddy for Christmas? Nothing. You hate presents. Sweetie, have you taken leave of your little senses? Daddy loves presents. I gave you a present last year. You didn't like it. Well, honey, I didn't go crazy over it. It was a drawing of a zebra. But I made it. Well, you make noise too, sugar. So what? Look, I'm glad you brought this up now. Now listen, kitten. Would you like me to draw you a bike or give you a bike? Give you. Give. Give, all right? Give. Exactly, Cupcake. You want a real zebra? Do I want a... Honey, look. Daddy wants something real. Something that isn't made with your little paste and crayons. Between you and the rest of this adorable little family, Daddy has nine closets full of arts and crafts. Here, sweetie, here's $20. Buy Daddy something for a change, okay? Go to a little store. Get Daddy something he can wear, something he can plug in, something he can at least return. Daddy hasn't gotten a real gift since he graduated from high school. (laughs) I don't like you. Oh, isn't this adorable? Sweetheart, come here. Say one more thing for Daddy. Wish all these nice people listening a Merry Christmas. No! Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. Looks like Santa's gonna leave some little girl off his bicycle list. Oh, no, he isn't. Merry Christmas, everybody. Merry Christmas, everybody.
the great Albert Brooks on the Sound of Young America Holiday Special. Well, that's our time for the show. I have been your host, Jesse Thorne. The show is produced by Speaking Into Microphones. Our music is provided by Dan Wally. Our editor is Nick White, our producer, Julia Smith. You can find us online at MaximumFun.org, where you can get this program and our weekly program, absolutely 1,000%, for free through iTunes or whatever your chosen podcasting software is, or you can just stream it on the web. If you have thoughts about the show, you can email me at jesse at MaximumFun.org, J-E-S-S-E. We'll see you next week or next year on The Sound of Young America. The Sound of Young America is supported in part by Ask Metafilter. Thousands of life's little questions answered online at ask.metafilter.com. And by VG Kids, printers of T-shirts and other merchandise for touring bands, radio stations, websites, festivals, derby girls, record labels, national brands, and all the rabble-rousers, hackers, and entrepreneurs in between. Online at VGKids.com. Coverage of the world of comedy on The Sound of Young America is supported by Humber College, offering a two-year program dedicated to comedy. Students learn stand-up, improv, acting, and writing skills and perform in the heart of Toronto. At Humber, we make funny people funnier. More information at HumberComedy.com. Support for this program comes from this station and public radio international stations nationwide and is made possible in part by the PRI Program Fund, whose contributors include the Ford Foundation and the John D. and Catherine T. MacArthur Foundation. PRI Public Radio International.